Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin with the war in the Middle East. This is the final day of an extended six-day ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The Palestinian group handed over a dozen more hostages last night, 10 Israelis and two citizens of Thailand. White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby says he hopes the ceasefire can be extended so more Americans can be freed. I don't want to uh, give you a handicap here on this uh, or, uh, or, or bet nods. Uh, I can just tell you that um, we want to see all the hostages out. The way, the way to do that is these pauses. White House spokesman John Kirby spoke with reporters outside Air Force One. CIA Director Bill Burns is in Qatar for talks about extending the ceasefire. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will be back in Israel later this week. And in a post on X, President Biden called for an end of the fighting. He says Hamas fears nothing more than Israelis and Palestinians living side by side in peace. And now, Nathan, the financial world is mourning and remembering the life of Charlie Munger. Munger, who helped build Berkshire Hathaway with Warren Buffett, died yesterday at the age of 99. And we have more with Bloomberg's John Tucker. John. And Karen, with wit, wisdom, and one-liners, Charlie Munger served as Warren Buffett's alter ego, often telling him with brutal honesty what wouldn't work. Munger was known for steering Buffett away from purchasing what Buffett called cigar butts, mediocre companies that had a puff of smoke left and could be bought for very cheap prices and instead favoring quality. A lawyer by training, Munger recalled how he was steered toward investing. When I met Warren, he immediately started telling me how much better his way of making a living was than mine and that I was too smart to stay in such a silly business as law practice when I could go into his business of running an investment partnership. And it took me about two or three years to to uh, realize he was right. His death leaves Buffett without his longtime sounding board. For investors, maybe his most enduring legacy is Berkshire's performance. Under their management, Berkshire averaged an annual gain of 20% from 1965 through 2022. I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Radio. All right, John, thanks. Of course, uh, Charlie Munger is also going to be remembered for his roles as straight man and scold of corporate excesses at Berkshire's annual meetings in Omaha. Bloomberg Intelligence senior analyst Matthew Palazzola remembers Munger's special relationship with Warren Buffett. They're recalling individual meetings that they had, you know, 40, 50 years ago, and and. Buffett is forgetting a couple things, and Munger's reminding him of, well, this guy said that, and we said this, and we made this much money in these meetings. I mean, it was, you know, truly a partnership for all of that time, and their interaction was just amazing. They would finish each other's sentences. And Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Analyst Matthew Palazzola there. Charlie Munger died yesterday at a hospital in California. He was a longtime resident of Los Angeles. Well, Nathan, we turn to the markets and specifically the economy now. And billionaire investor Bill Ackman, who's betting the Federal Reserve will begin cutting interest rates sooner than markets are predicting. I think there's a, a risk of a hard landing if the Fed doesn't start cutting rates you know, pretty soon. So you know, I think the market expects sometime middle of next year. I think it's more likely probably as early as Q1. 
And Bill Ackman added that he's not convinced the U.S. economy is headed for a soft landing. The billionaire investor made the comments in an upcoming episode of the David Rubenstein Show, Peer to Beer Conversations, on Bloomberg Television. Well, Karen, Bill Ackman's comments come as two of the Fed's most hawkish rate setters signaled they could be comfortable holding rates steady for now. Here's what Fed Governor Christopher Waller told the American Enterprise Institute in Washington. I am increasingly confident that policy is currently well positioned to slow the economy and get inflation back to 2%. Chris Waller's view is echoed by fellow Fed Governor Michelle Bowman, who said she remains willing to support rate hikes if inflation progress stalls, but she did stop short of endorsing an increase next month. Well, in Washington, Nathan, the House of Representatives may be voting on whether to expel George Santos today or tomorrow. And Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has that story. Motions in the House have been formally introduced saying ethics findings violate the accepted policies of the body. Now, many of those members who voted against the first one, November 1st, are saying they will vote to expel now. And Santos has responded saying the body is just theater. I went to San Diego last week. It is terrible, terrible. That's what we should be putting our energy on, not on censuring one another, expelling one another, witch hunts against the political class. Nobody cares. Congress has 48 hours to act under the resolution. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Okay, Ed, thank you. President Biden won't be there, but Vice President Kamala Harris is attending the COP28 Climate Summit in Dubai. We get details from Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Harris will join Secretary of State Antony Blinken and other U.S. officials at the two-week event that begins tomorrow. She is expected to address the summit this week. Formal negotiations at COP28 will center on the response to warnings that countries are falling short in cutting their emissions and possible commitments to phase down fossil fuels. In Washington, Amy Morris, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Amy, thanks. Well, in corporate news, in a surprise memo, Jack Ma urged Alibaba Group to correct course. The billionaire called for fundamental change across the company he co-founded decades ago. Ma has mostly stayed away from day-to-day operations since 2020. And Alibaba, once China's best candidate to become a trillion-dollar company, is trading at a fraction of its peak in 2020. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Congressional negotiators are reportedly ready to drop plans to use the annual defense policy bill to tighten controls on U.S. investment in Chinese technology. Sources tell Bloomberg that House Financial Services Chairman Patrick McHenry is effectively blocking a measure that would require firms to notify the government about certain investments in China and other countries of concern. The Biden administration, meanwhile, getting pushback from auto dealers on those mandates for switching over to electric vehicle production. Bloomberg's Nancy Lyons has that part of the story. The mandate calls for two out of every three vehicles sold in the U.S. by 2032 be battery electric. But nearly 4,000 auto dealers who are calling themselves EV voice of the customer say most car buyers, even with incentives, are disinterested in the technology due to the higher cost, the lack of charging stations, and the loss of driving range in hot and cold weather. The dealers are asking President Biden to slow down and let the battery technology and infrastructure improve before forcing EV purchases. The White House says the proposed 
standards are not a mandate and do not ban gas vehicles. In Washington, Nancy Lyons, Bloomberg Radio. Republican Congressman Anthony D'Esposito made a motion on the House floor to force a vote on House Ethics Committee Chairman Michael Guest's resolution that would expel Congressman George Santos. Minutes later, Santos took to the House floor himself to defiantly say he will not resign. Are we to now assume that one is no longer innocent until proven guilty and they are in fact guilty until proven innocent? Or are we now to simply assume that because somebody doesn't like you, they get to throw you out of your job? The House Ethics Committee report alleged Santos used campaign cash to pay for personal expenses. He's also facing federal charges. A U.S. military Osprey aircraft carrying eight people has crashed into the sea off southern Japan. The Japanese Coast Guard is heading to the site for search and rescue operations. One Coast Guard official says they don't have details yet about what happened to the Osprey nor to the people on board. He says the Coast Guard received an emergency call from a fishing boat near the crash site off Yakushima. The Osprey was believed to be heading to Okinawa. Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now. I'm Amy Morris and this is Bloomberg. Karen. All right, Amy, thank you. Well, we do bring you news throughout the day right here on Bloomberg Radio, as Amy said. But now you can get the latest news on demand whenever you want it. You can just subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. Get informed on your schedule. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Now for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's John Stashauer. John. Karen, the NBA started this season with an in-season tournament to drum up some interest early in the regular season, taking a page out of what you see in European soccer. Last night, they determined which eight teams are advancing to the knockout round. Next Monday in the East, Boston will play at Indiana. And then on Tuesday, it's the Knicks in Milwaukee. Monday in the West, New Orleans and Sacramento followed a night later by Phoenix at the Lakers. The winners will advance to the semifinals December 7th in Las Vegas with the championship on December 9th. Minnesota Timberwolves have the best record in the West. They won last night. They're 13-4. They're not advancing. But the Knicks are. They beat Charlotte 115-91. The Celtics moving on. They're 8-0 at home. They beat the Bulls 124-97. Jalen Brown scored 30. Milwaukee got 33 from Giannis Antetokounmpo in a 131 a 124 win at Miami. College Hoops in the SEC ACC Challenge. The SEC won four, including 12th-ranked Kentucky beating 8th-ranked Miami 95-73. to We heard from the College Football Playoff Committee. The next time we'll hear from them will be Sunday with the final four announcing who's going to be in the playoffs. Georgia's ranked number one. Michigan with the big win over Ohio State moves up to second. Everyone moves up a spot. Washington now third. Florida State fourth. Oregon fifth. Washington plays Oregon on Friday for the Pac-12 championship. Ohio State with the loss dropped to sixth. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com. 
From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager on this final day of an extended six-day ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The Palestinian militant group is handing over more hostages and pressure is building on both sides to see if this pause in the fighting can be extended even further. For the very latest, let's go to Tel Aviv and check in with Bloomberg's Israel Bureau Chief Ethan Bronner. Ethan, it's good to have you back with us. What are the prospects that we could see this ceasefire extended beyond today? Hey, Nathan, I think the prospects are pretty good. I think that both sides uh, have been uh, comfortable with this pause. They would like it to extend. I think uh, it's a breather for Hamas. It's a breather for the Israeli Defense Forces. And also, it allows uh, more humanitarian aid to get into those in great need who are suffering from hunger and the outbreak of disease in Gaza. And, of course, it's bringing back to Israel hostages. So the deal is, you know, 10 hostages a day, uh, another day of, uh, of, a, of, of a ceasefire. And it seems like that could go on at least two more days. Will it be a ceasefire or could it be a resolution to this conflict? We've seen commentary from President Biden himself, one of his latest posts on uh, the uh, social platform X, saying that Hamas fears nothing more than Israelis and Palestinians living side by side to continue down the path of terror, violence, killing and war is something we can't do. Is pressure building to end this war? It is. And that was an interesting um, tweet. I don't know if we still call it a tweet, an interesting Hmm. post on on X by the president, uh, which suggests that he is um, slightly moving away from a full embrace of an Israeli continuation of the war. Um, I, I think it's a little hard to tell. The Israelis very much want to destroy Hamas, and they believe they can, and they believe they must take this opportunity to do so. They believe that they want to get as many hostages out as possible and then go back into war. It is clearly the case that the president and many, many people abroad think that the war has uh, should, should stop. Too many people have died. Too much suffering has occurred. Uh, and I think that politically, the, President Biden is, is worried. He's also facing internal dissent in his own administration. Um, but, you know, it could also be that they sort of thread this needle in the way that allows the Israelis to go ahead in some days' time, but in a way that uh, is more targeted, Uh, there's less civilian death, and that allows uh, them to declare a victory. We shall see. Are we seeing that play out in the thinking uh, among Israeli officials, leaders in Israel, that we could see a more targeted approach? And what would that look like? Yeah, and what would that look like is a great question. Um, We are... It's very, very hard at the moment to get any uh, transparency on what the next military phase will look like. When you ask, you're told, sorry, pal, 
we're not sharing it with you. But it is clear from public statements and also from pressure from Washington that they have to reduce the kind of bombardment that began in these first uh, weeks of this. This is now almost an eight-week conflict. And it is clear uh, that they want to go after the leaders of Hamas and its military infrastructure. They are saying that they've killed about 5,000 Hamas guys. They were saying there were about 30,000 of them. So, you know, from their perspective, they've made progress, but they've hardly uh, gotten everything they need. Now, what would it mean to go in in a more targeted way? Uh, you're going to have 2 million people sort of crowded into the southern part of Gaza. I don't know how you're going to go uh, get underground there without killing people. So I don't know how they're going to do it, but that's clearly something the Americans are demanding of them before they let this go forward. What do we know about the hostage releases that are expected today? Well, we, we, we know that the Israelis have been given another list of 10. Uh, so again, only women and children have been engaged, involved in these uh, exchanges so far. Uh, and I expect there'd be more of women and children in the next day or two. Then the question is, would they get to some men, to some soldiers? And that's, I think, a more difficult thing. So far, it's been uh, three Israeli, three prisoners, Palestinian prisoners for each hostage. That may have to change. Yeah, we do know that there have been talks underway in Qatar with the uh, CIA director, Bill Burns, yeah, to potentially indeed. get that ceasefire uh, and uh, hostage deal extended beyond women and children. Something else for us to follow and uh, we know we'll be doing that as well. Ethan Bronner, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Ethan Bronner, uh, Israel Bureau Chief for Bloomberg News, joining us this morning from Tel Aviv. And now we want to bring you our conversation with the founder and CEO of Pershing Square Capital, Bill Ackman. He says the Fed's going to cut rates sooner than many of us expect. Bill Ackman joined Bloomberg's David Rubenstein for peer-to-peer conversations. They discussed the Fed, the outlook for the U.S. economy, and the 2024 presidential election. So let's bring you part of that conversation right now. I do think the economy is weakening. Uh, we're seeing you know, evidence of that in some of our companies. You're seeing, uh, I have some concerns. Uh, you know, the, there's been a huge subsidy in terms of low interest rates. And companies, most companies, fix their uh, rates or their debt at you know, very low rates. And certainly real estate investors did the same. And that works until it doesn't work. And so I think we're, what's going to be interesting is to see what happens when people get, have to reprice their debt. And I think that can have sort of a cliff-like effect. And you're certainly seeing that uh, in real estate. Now, the markets are assuming, and the markets are not always right, but the markets are assuming that there's going to be a Fed discount cut sometime next year. As we talk now, just about the end of November, um, it's not clear what the Fed will do, but uh, some people say that the Fed, if they were to cut interest rates next year, would help the Democrats and therefore be seen as very political. On the other hand, some people say the Fed can't wait till after the election because the economy might need a, a stimulus. So you have a view on what the Fed's likely to do? I think they're going to cut rates. And uh, you know, I think they're going to cut rates sooner than people expect uh, because, you know, What's happening is the real rate of interest, ultimately, which is what impacts the economy, keeps increasing as inflation declines, right? So if the Fed keeps rates in the sort of middle fives uh, and inflation is, you know, trending below 3 percent or, uh, you know, that's a very high real rate of interest. And I think that is having a sort of retarding effect on the economy. And then, of course, again, uh, you know, many businesses and certainly many individuals have the benefit of fixed rate debt. And uh, that fixed rate debt, certainly for companies and for, for commercial real estate, starts to roll off. So I think there's a, a risk 
of a hard landing if the Fed doesn't start cutting rates you know, pretty soon. So you know, I think the market expects sometime middle of next year. I think it's more likely probably as early as Q1. By its own admission, the Fed probably missed uh, inflation initially. They, they said it was transitory, but they played catch up and they've increased rates considerably uh, since that time. Do you think the Fed uh, made a mistake in not handling inflation differently in the beginning? And how do you think they've done since they started increasing interest rates? They certainly made a mistake. I mean, I think that they would, the Fed generally as an institution would admit that. Uh, I think that they caught up uh, and I, effectively, so you give them credit for acknowledging the mistake and being pretty aggressive. Uh, and then I think, you know, you, the, you want to make sure that they're, uh, you know, Chairman Powell's uh, desire not to uh, have a legacy of causing or contributing to long-term inflation doesn't, you know, cause them to make the opposite mistake. I mean, keep rates too high for too long. And I think the market expectation is, you know, it's called middle of next year, July, something like this, for the beginnings of, of easing. I think the economy will likely demand an earlier move. And I don't think of the Fed as a, or at least this Fed, as a particularly political institution. I think they're really trying to do the right thing. President Biden has called his economic program Bidenomics, which has met some derision in Republican circles. Uh, you've been an active supporter of Democrats, I think, more than Republicans. Is that right? I would say historically I have. Uh, you know, I would say today I, I certainly consider myself and have for years now a centrist. Okay. Uh, and I'm you know, much more open to Republican candidates than I am to re-electing President Biden. Uh, so, so I, you know, you, you would say otherwise. I, you know, again, I, I want to elect the best leader of the country, whether that person is a Republican or a Democrat. But you haven't publicly said you're supporting President Trump if he's the nominee yet. No, I've I've been supportive of you know I've been supportive of uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, I've been supportive of Chris Christie. Uh, you know, I know Vivek Ramaswamy, and I was, you know, pre his launch of his candidacy, I was, uh, you know, supportive of his uh, having a young, smart, talented, uh, you know, business leader as our next president. He's just been a little too far off the, uh, the, uh, too far to the right, and also, you know, been disappointed a bit with his, um, you know, geopolitics and how he's thinking about uh, dealing with some of the wars that we're, we find ourselves in the midst of today. For the economy itself, do you think it really is going to make a difference if President Trump, is he, if he's the Republican nominee and gets elected, or if President Biden is the Democratic nominee, he's elected? Who, either one, would it make a big difference for the economy in the next year or so? if either one is the president or the economy is going to do what it's going to do? You know, I do think uh, leadership matters enormously in everything from the economy uh, to geopolitics. And, uh, and I hope we're going to have a broader selection than Trump and Biden. Uh, there's actually an interesting candidate who just announced his candidacy uh, on the Democratic side that I would say no one has heard of, a congressman named Dean Phillips. You, you probably have heard of him, may know him met with him recently. I was impressed. And I think the best, I think Biden's done a lot of good things, uh, but I think uh, he, his legacy will not be a good one if he, if he is the, the nominee. Uh, I do think the right thing for Biden to do is to step aside and to say he's not going to run and create the opportunity for some competition of alternative. Why, why do you think that? Well, I think that I think he's you know, past his prime in a in kind of meaningful way. I think the global security, I would say, and uh, a uh, is going to become a very high-profile issue uh, for, I think, the country. I think people are concerned about what's going on in terms of Russia-Ukraine, uh, you know, the Israel-Hamas uh, uh, situation. You know, Russia and China are, are pretty belligerent today. Our relationships are not good. So I think, um, you know, you. I do think of it's a bit like being CEO of a major company. It's a, it's a 
it's a full-time job, and you need to be at your, you know, you need to be strong, you need to be at your intellectual uh, best, and I don't think Biden is there. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.